Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started with libunwind. This is a library about a library, kind of. Like, that's uh, probably not entirely accurate, but think of it as a library about a library. In other words, it, it is uh, a C library interface, a, a portable and efficient C programming interface, API, uh, determining the call chain of a program. So that means that this library lets you kind of look at the way your application is being executed and, and to use that information for something, whether it's exception handling or sending up a an error message about, well, what exactly has happened, and a bunch of other stuff. But that that's kind of the the takeaway, I think. That's the important part of libunwind. As its name kind of suggests, right? You're you're unwinding the 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 tangle of 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 your code. So could I just say generally this is used in like everything? I mean really, I mean not really. But um I'm gonna do this L this magic L D D thing and pipe it to a line count. Oh, I can't do it that way, darn it. Um, can I pipe the output of this to a line count? Maybe. So, I mean, it's just all throughout. It's through KDE, it's through all kinds of applications. It, it's, a, it's a very, very long list uh, from LDD of things that include, or that are, are linked back to libunwind. 242, 242. That is how many libraries, or, or that is rather, how many uh, applications, how many commands it, on my Linux system are LDD'd back to, to libunwind. So it is, it's a lot of them. I mean, it's not, you know, I mean, I don't know how many commands there are on my computer. Lots more than 242. But that's still a, that's a big chunk of applications using this for debugging and introspecting and uh, ex apparently implementing an extremely efficient version of set JMP. Don't know what that is, but it is a thing that got mentioned in the in the notes. Okay, so that was libunwind, more or less. There's liburing. We've talked about this before. We thought we were talking about IO sync, I think, or like IO async, something like that. And uh, uring came up. That that kind of got mentioned. If you'll recall, all all of this stuff, the the problem they're trying to solve with async I/O and lib uring, or or rather I/O uring, um, and lib uring creates I/O uring instances. The tr problem they're trying to solve is just that that uh, that back and forth between storage devices and the kernel. It, it can get you know, to you and me, I mean, we're talking microseconds and things like that, but it adds up, as you know, uh, as someone who has probably had to wait on a process to finish, whether you're saving a file. Like, why isn't that instantaneous? You're loading a file. Why isn't that instantaneous? I mean, some of it, some of it might be um, IRQ things happening just, just to get an application uh, up on your screen and so on, but you do start to notice that delay. I have started using uh, a RAM disk, as my friend Cobra 2 told me to do ages ago, about 
about a year ago now, maybe, I started, I, I just mount a RAM disk at boot in tilde slash RAM disk, and I use that as my download folder. So I'm, if I download something from the internet, it goes straight to RAM disk, and then I do the thing that I need to do with it, and either offload it onto some actual storage device, or upload it back to the internet after I've fixed the thing that I was in there to fix, or whatever. And the speed that that you, you really start to notice latency when you're working out of RAM. Or rather, you start to notice the lack of latency when you're working out of RAM. Now, I, I, I can't recommend working out of RAM all the time. I mean, if, if something happens, computer shuts off, something crashes, whatever, it's lost, it's gone, it never existed. So you can't do it for everything. But for a specific workflow, that's what I have taken to do. And and it's just so fast. I mean, there is no real, oh, there's probably latency of some kind, but I mean, it's really fast. Things, I mean, if I am waiting for something, it's, again, it's the application itself, which itself is going off of, loading off of an NVMe drive, so even that should be pretty fast, and yet there is latency. So, the the in and out processes of just, like, managing storage, it starts to add up and it gets faster if you're able to do things asynchronously. If you're doing it, if you're sending a message and then waiting for a response and then sending a message in response to the response and then waiting for that response, that starts to pile up and really you do start to, to, to feel that in terms of how responsive your computer feels. LibUring is trying to help mitigate that. That's all I know about it. Okay, LibUSB is next. It's a C library that preserve, uh, that provides access to USB devices, as you might imagine. I think that's one of those things that is easy uh, if you're a new if if you're new to the whole you know low level computing thing or to Linux really. I mean, if you're new to sort of the awareness that a computer is just a toaster until you I mean that's not really a toaster. I mean you it, it does toast you can toast bread with a computer if you put bread on your CPU, uh, you could probably toast it, but you shouldn't. Uh, and so what I'm trying to say is that a computer is just, it's a doorstop or whatever, it's a paperweight, until you put an operating system on there. And then you have to start asking, well, what's an operating system? How, where does that start? And so then you you end up looking at, like, yeah, again, CPU uh, silicon die, you know, and you're like, oh, this is how that works. What what does it all mean? So if you're, if you're getting into that sort of awareness that a computer are, are, is a series of circuits and 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 process you know and messages that get sent between different or signals that get sent between different components and it all results in this instruction set which programmers are able to use to create an array of pixels on your screen to suggest that thing that that little virtual objects exist that you can manipulate with your mouse and so on you you start to understand that just because someone like solders a USB connection onto a motherboard doesn't mean that the computer, quote-unquote, knows that there's a USB port there. It doesn't know what to do with that. It can send, it can provide power to that port because someone has routed electricity to it, but, but the, the, operating system doesn't know that it's a USB port. There, there's nothing inside the USB port to communicate with the operating system. There, there needs to be a library so that the computer knows how to interpret signals or even to, to use that port for signals, and that's, that's what libUSB does. Then there's libUSB-compat. That's a compatibility, 
compatibility library for libusb 0.1. So an early, early implementation of USB. Um, they, they, they had to sort of update it, you know, like for 0.1 to like literally 1.0. So you're just reversing those two digits and that's a pretty big reversal. It's like 0.9. Um, they they're they're making sure that your old 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 devices that plugged into USB when it was still like brand new controversial new idea of of a port connector you know back in the early 2000s or whatever um this is the compatibility library for that and then there's the lib usb mux d which is a client library to multiplex connections from and to ios devices this gets used by lib gpod so if you've got an i device from apple this is this this may be used to uh, decode the messages that it is sending to your computer I know nothing about that. I don't have any iDevices anymore. I mean, I've had iPods in the past, but no, I've, I've got nothing now. LibUV, an asynchronous I.O. library. LibUV is a multi-platform support library with a focus on asynchronous I.O. So we're back at, you know, sort of, we're, we're back in the realm of um, of kind of LibUring in, in a way, uh, but not exactly. I mean, we're still talking about asynchronous IO um but but in this case we're talking about asynchronous for 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 higher level things so liburing is like for the kernel um lib libuv is uh providing asynchronous communication for originally node uh, javascript node js but it's also used by like julia CMake, which we've talked about in the past, some Lua stuff, like a Lua web server. And and it is, I don't believe, and I could be wrong, I don't think it's dealing with storage devices at all. I didn't see anything about that on the, on the, um, on libuv.org, but it is, it does stuff like uh, asynchronous DNS resolution. And we just talked about DNS resolution in the previous episode. So that's, something once again you want to be able to like make this call to something like name resolution and then keep doing what you're doing and not have to wait for that answer to come back before you proceed on other things and it does asynchronous tcp and udp sockets um oh it does do file system events actually okay i didn't realize that uh, th- a thread pool signal handling uh, a timer like a clock for 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 um you know for for things that re- rely on sort of keeping a, a a steady pace like a game that sort of thing so um or or probably multimedia stuff as well i don't know um so yeah that's libuv let's talk about libvisio libvisio v i s i o is a library that parses the file format of microsoft visio I literally don't know what that is. I have heard of it like once or twice in my life. I've heard of Visio, but I don't know what it is. I, is it like, wasn't there something called Visio Calc or something like that? I feel like the word Calc comes up after Visio sometimes, but I don't know what it is. Is it a spreadsheet, a, a database, a programming language, and a programming interface? I do not know and I do not care, but it produces documents, apparently, and this is a thing that's used by the Open Document Foundation, uh, which, you know, does the whole, it manages LibreOffice and so on. LibVisio is the thing that would let you open a, a Visio file, presumably in LibreOffice. I, I, again, I know nothing about it. 
It's easier to talk about libvisual. Well, I say easier. It's easier in theory to talk about libvisual. Here's why. So libvisual is an audio visualization library. So we've all kind of seen it probably by now. You launch a, a music player back in the early... 2000s, and there's the obligatory visualizer plugin. You click on it, and you see pretty sort of colorful neon dancing lights that move in time with your music. Or you click on the spectrum analyzer button, and and it shows you the sound waves that you're hearing right now, and how how loud they are, and and how, how where where they are, you know, in the literal audio spectrum, and, and it colors the different frequencies, or, or or maybe it just makes the the high, you know, the the really high loud things red, and the middle stuff green, or whatever. So you've seen this before, but for the life of me, I can't actually find what Live Visual on Slackware is how where it's being used. I, I did an LDD on user bin, as I have been lately, and couldn't find anything. Went to libvisual.org, which is the website for the project, and there are zero screenshots, which I felt was a little bit odd. I mean, I know it's a it, it's it's just a library, so like what would they screenshot? But maybe an implementation of it they could screenshot. Just to show us like what what it's producing, but nothing. Okay, so Go to the wiki uh, on GitHub or the documentation. Yeah, that's that's the wiki. I think is the same the same thing. Um, and and there's no again no screenshots, no no indication really of 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 exactly what this is. Um, oh, I just found one. I just found one. Okay, so you can get sound into Live Visual through Pulse Audio Input Plugin. Use Pavu Control to set the audio source to record from, and then they just link to an image, um, which which is uh, that's a way to to document things, I guess. Um, so you need to get stuff from I don't know what they're trying to tell me to do. Record from LV Pulse Audio, I guess. I don't remember seeing that as an option in Pavu Control, but it's one of those things where sometimes you do have to kind of admit, yeah, I, I definitely don't have that listed, so I must not have something installed, I guess. I don't know. So anyway, you can see a screenshot on GitHub. I just found it. Um, go to the wiki and then go to the FAQ, and you'll find how to get sound into LibVisual and to show you exactly what I described. Sort of neon, fuzzy, light plasma beams dancing in time to sound. And and that's what LibVisual does. You can, you can You can see the same kind of effect in, for instance, Audacity. No, not Audacity. Audacious, which um, is listed as something that uses LibVisual, but again, I did an LDD on user bin Audacious after seeing it listed in their wiki uh, on the uh, on the applications link, and I my Audacious is not... Um, did I say Audacity again? Audacious. It's the music player, not the recorder. Audacious. I didn't see it linked to LibVisual at all, so I don't know. Apparently, um, XMMS 2.0, the 2.x series is also linked to LibVisual, and Amarok, 
which, you know, I mean, I haven't used Amarok lately because I, I really don't know what state it's in. GStreamer, Project M. Now that, I actually, I think I have a Slack build for that. So Project M is exactly, I mean, all it does is visualization. So I guess maybe it's using libvisual uh, on the back end. I don't know. Um, I actually don't have that installed myself right now. So I don't know. There's there's a bunch of different projects that I guess have access to libvisual, but whether or not they were compiled linking to it is a different question. So that's libvisual. Um, it is out there. I guess it, it kind of had a little hiatus for a while, but apparently as of 2022, it has been kind of uh, resurrected. They even used the word necromancer, so they really, really feel like, yes, it did go away, but it is back now, and there's activity. So that's exciting. Um, it's just I don't exactly know what to make of the fact that it's actually not linked to anything on 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 my system so that that's kind of interesting but it is there so if you want to use it then you can now there are there there is a separate package of lib visual plugins and i'm assuming i have that installed do i have that installed var log packages uh let's do a find in there i guess type f name quote asterisk uh lib visual asterisk close quote. Yes, I do have libvisual plugins installed. So let's let's actually look at that really quick. Let's look at this package and find out if there's something that maybe I could activate. Um, user doc, user lib, user share. No, I don't I don't see anything that I'm kind of like missing. There's just a bunch of libraries. So it says um, libvisual provides a framework, but the plugins are designed to work with libvisual to allow it to actually do the interesting visualizations um, that you would expect. Uh, but once again, I, I don't really, I don't see anything using these. So it's hard to kind of wrap my head around really what I'm supposed to do with this. Which, by the way, I think is fair, and that's an important thing to, to note. I'm not actually being critical if I sound like I'm being critical. I am I'm a little confused, but, I mean, that's just literally because I'm confused. Um, I, I, I think it's fair for Slackware and, and for open source projects to just have these tools included on the off chance that they're useful to you. Um, I, I think there's probably a debate, like is it is it something that I need to get from Pat Volkerding or or is it something that I could get myself and and then I'd be getting a more updated version anyway and blah blah blah. So I, I think there you know two two different sides of the same coin, two two different arguments. I'm sure different programmers would feel differently just depending on on their workflow. But I, I think it's fine that libvisual, libvisual plugins exist. They're not apparently linked to anything that I have installed at least, but they're there. And if you want to develop an application and decide it might be fun to have some of those lib those visualizations, then libvisual will get you that for free pretty much. Uh, I mean, or not, you might have to write your own plugin, but libvisual can serve as the framework and you and you get it really simple. You get that that visualization really, really easily. Okay, next up is libvnc server. It, it makes writing a VNC server simple because it's got all of the, it's got all the functions that you're going to need for 
a, a VNC client, or rather server, sorry. There is a separate libvnc client, um, that, that's important to note. But this is libvnc server, as its name makes very clear, so you can use it to, to make a VNC server. It is a C library, so this would be useful for you as long as you're programming in C, um, or I guess, you know, maybe Python or something. And, um, and I mean, <laughs> man, I mean, yeah, it's a GPL library to, to help make a VNC server. I mean, that just, that seems really useful to me for someone writing a VNC server. I wouldn't, that th these are the kinds of things you just don't want to have to figure out yourself, especially when you sit down to write, well, a front end, essentially. So this is your back end. All you have to do now is take care of the front end, and that's that's super nice. LibVorbis, this is OgVorbis. This is the library that makes that possible. This is um, free and open source audio compression. I used to use it all the time. If I'm honest, I still use it, but I mean, really a lot of my everyday sort of day-to-day -day encoding has gone over to Opus because Opus just, it, it makes things a lot smaller than even Vorbis could, but it sounds just as good. I don't, I, I'm not sure where I stand. Like, I trust, I have a high trust for Ogvorbis in terms of, of familiarity. I know at what quality rating I can expect certain things to sound like, and I, I haven't had the experience with Opus yet to feel that same familiarity. Opus has very much been kind of the sledgehammer for quick and dirty encoding where I need it to be small so I can just get it onto a device and take it with me to listen to a, a podcast or an audiobook or something as I, I don't know, mow the lawn or, or do some errands around town or whatever. So I, I've kind of just used Opus just because it's like I just want this thing to, to be on a device really quick and I want it to be small so it gets there fast. And I don't want to take up a whole lot of space anyway, because it's not that important. So a lot of Opus stuff that I do is is really just optimized for like, let's just make this small. Whereas Ogvorbis, I tend to use, uh, I think partly because when you buy from when you buy music from Bandcamp, you can get Ogvorbis music. You can get it just encoded as Ogvorbis as is. So a lot of times I'll do that. I'll just download stuff as Ogvorbis, and it sounds great. If there was an Opus selection, maybe I would take an Opus and start getting familiar with what that sounds like. But and and what I probably should do is is I should start downloading stuff in Flack and then encoding myself to Opus, encoding stuff myself to Opus. I don't, I'm not going to encode me to Opus. Um, and, and then maybe I could see how or hear how it sounds at different quality uh, ratings and so on. It's interesting that there's just such a difference in encoding music and encoding voice, because I think a lot of times we have such a, a different tolerance level, or at least some people do, a different tolerance for what you'll put up with in, in, in speech quality versus musical quality. Because in speech, I mean, as long as I can understand the words, I'm happy. Like, it doesn't really have to, I don't need, I don't need the subtleties of speech, generally speaking. Um, whereas for music, it's completely, complete opposite. Like, I, I want the subtleties. I want every, every, you know, as much sound subtlety as I can get, at least knowing that it's being compressed. All right, next. 
libvpx. This is the VP8 and VP9 video codec. So this is WebM. It was originally developed by a company called On2. That's O-N and then the number two. It released. It was released as open source by Google back in I don't know. 2000 and something. And um, it's kind of the successor of a VP3 codec upon which the Theora, the Aug Theora codec, was based. So this is all kind of like, this is within the same family, right? People have been developing this theory of here's a great way to encode visual, you know, visual images that that are going to um, that are going to be shown rapid in in rapid succession to create the illusion of movement. Here's how to do that that storage as as cheaply as it were as possible. So that's WebM. If you go to webmproject.org, I witnessed a talk about LibVPX at a major movie studio that I used to work at, and the the. The rep, I think he was actually from Google. I could be wrong. Um, and I, he wasn't, he wasn't like on a sales, you know, he wasn't like doing a sales pitch or anything. He, he, he was a, an engineer at Google working on libvpx, as I recall. Um, and was just kind of talking about the technology because this was to a research and development division. And it was, um, really, really a fascinating talk. And it convinced me 100%. And frankly, it convinced the studio I was working at 100% to use this for pretty much everything. Like the quality is second to none, or I should say it's second to uncompressed. And, um, and it's great for, you know, our, like this, the place that I was working at started using uh, WebM for archiving footage. Like, this was the format that we were saving footage to and putting on hard drives and putting on the shelf to come back to, you know, in, in 10 years for, like, re-releases and, and special editions and things like that. Like, that's what w this stuff was being stored in. I don't know what the settings were, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, like, do that just without further research, but like this was this is a very very good codec. I'm a big fan of it. Um, it has wholly replaced Aug Theora for me. I mean, for uh, technically for everyone. I mean, right? I mean, VP3 was was then that was Theora. VP8 and then VP9 is now. That's WebM. So it's it's a huge. It's a it's a gain. It's a major win for open source multimedia. It is uh, compatible with all the browsers. It's a really good format, and it, I'm excited about the quality because I happen coincidentally to have worked for a computing company before the movie studio. Well, actually, before 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 well before the movie studio. I was working at a computer company. What I'm trying to say is that there was another job in between. But um, before that, working at a computing company that uh, had hired me to do video work or like video research. Really, I wasn't like shooting things on cameras. I was figuring stuff out on video on computers and um, tangentially, not not in the area where I was working, but you know, just just across the hall, this other group was doing work on mass releasing videos to the public over the internet. And that division, you know, I would I would watch movies because we had access to all the movies that they were releasing. So I would, as long as you were, you know, within the the office building and on the VPN and stuff, um, I would I would watch movies as I worked on other stuff, and I would see like pixelation in the dark 
rocks in in the shadows. Like you could see it. You could see noise. You could see digital noise in the shadows. Uh, you could see blowouts in in the highlights. And it used to just make me cringe. And you still see it. Well, I don't know about today, but you know, five, ten years ago, you would see it on Netflix. Like if you were watching something on Netflix streaming. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, or did did they do streaming 10 years ago? I don't know, five years ago, whatever. You could see the digital noise. Like it was, it was painful because you just think this is like a service that I'm paying for. And I'm seeing like digital noise that I wouldn't see if I was just watching this movie on television, over the air television or over the cable television, I guess. Um, I think it's probably gotten better now. And honestly, I'm not wholly unconvinced that it's not better because of WebM. That was a lot of double negatives happening there. What I'm trying to say is that I blame 264, H264. I know that H264 was the darling of the multimedia world for a good two decades. I never liked it. I've, I'm on record saying that I don't like it. I do not like H.264. I don't, I, I would, I chose Theora over H.264 and have done talks and have written articles about why. And, and now that VP8 and VP9 exist, it just seems like that problem has gone away, which makes me think, uh, the problem that I never had on Og Theora, which makes me think, but everyone had on H.264, uh, third time, which makes me think, um, that the problem was with H.264. In fact, I mean, that's my, I don't just think that. That's my analysis. The problem was with H.264. I, I wish, I wish, you know, that's one of those codecs where it was just like, everyone's using it, so I guess we're all going to use it now. But it is, it, it was not good then, and it is not good now. And if you have the opportunity to switch to VP8, VP9, or WebM, do so. The, the one good thing about H.264, I guess, and, and I'm, I'm tw- you know, you'd have to twist my arm here to, to get me to really admit this publicly, but the one good thing about it was that it, it at least fit into an MP4 container and that, it, you know, it was an MPEG-4 c- codec, which before MPEG-4, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but before MPEG-4, there really wasn't sort of a a universal video codec. Like, we all had to deal with with 18 different formats of video, and the, the in, web browsers just didn't know what to settle on. Like, nobody could figure out what we're going to play on the internet. MPEG-4 happened, and it kind of changed the landscape. Now, I'm not saying that MPEG-4 itself was like, oh, it's so good that it has changed the landscape, which I do think the VP8, VP9 is so good that I think it has deservedly, I mean, it helps that Google is backing it, but I mean, it deservedly has now changed the landscape to something that I think is is pretty agreeable. But MP4, I mean, it was just like, hey, at least we're all agreeing to use the same thing now. And that was nice. Like, that was a great feature. But, you know, I mean, that wasn't H.264. That, that, that was MPEG-4. And then H.264 happened to tap into that and and got popular. So that that was like the one the one I guess the one reason H264 was kind of like tolerable was because it fit into that MPEG-4 box nice enough. All right, let's talk about LibWebP. I hate to go on about this, but I mean, WebP is the 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 static image, the the photo version uh, of of WebM. So WebM is pretty great. I've just described why I like it. Uh, WebP is the big alternative to JPEG, JPEG 2000, even PNG. Um, 
yeah, it's really nice. Web WebP again. I've kind of defaulted to it now for most images where I can get away with it. You can't always get away with it because bizarrely, there's still a lot of applications out there like on on the internet that just don't accept WebP, uh, which is funny because WebP is uh, again backed by Google. It's very very good. Like it it will it will compress your photos a, a lot, a, a stunning reduction in size, and, and looks great. And yet there's a lot of Google sites that don't that you just can't accept WebP. So, I mean, I would be using WebP for everything, but for the fact that, yeah, you still run into things that are like, you can only upload a JPEG or PNG to this to this thing. It's really weird. But WebP is great, and you can uh, access it through ImageMagic. You can just do convert example.png example.webp, and it just does it quickly, just like that. GIMP, Krita, all all the big ones, you know, uh, Kadian Live, you can import WebPs into that uh, if you're doing like still images. Anyway, enough about that. So libwmf, I don't know what this is. Um, there's apparently a, a format out there called Microsoft Windows Metafile Format. That's WMF. And I, I don't understand it. Is, so is this an image file? I, I don't know. So libwmf says that it's a library for interpreting metafile images. And it can either display them or it can save them out to like a PNG or a JPEG or EPS or SVG. But I don't understand what... So it sounds like that's an image. But who calls their image a Windows metafile format? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Is that is that really what it is? I don't know. I don't know what, what a WMF file is. So... I don't know where to find one. I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't exactly know what to do if I had one. So if you have one, if you have an WMF file, you, you, you can use libwmf in a roundabout way, and I'll talk, talk about how, uh, to convert it to something you know, more kind of standard. And and the way that, the easy way to do that would be image magic. It, that, that can handle a WMF file. You just do, again, convert, uh, you know, example.wmf to example.webp, I guess. And, and then you've got a, um, you've got an image. Uh, I, if anybody has a, a WMF file, um, send me one. I would love to see, like, what it is. Like, I, I just don't know I'm trying to picture it and I just can't I cannot picture what that is. But I guess I guess I could probably generate one in theory, right? I mean if I have an image file, I'll go to go to my RAM disk here. Uh, I don't have an image file. Where can I get one? I can get an image file from a screenshot application. So here's a screenshot of my current desktop or actually a terminal. Uh, I'm gonna need something a little bit more um a little, little bit more obviously photographed than that. There we go. That's that's something recognizable. So I'm going to save this as a blah.webp. Uh, and now I'm going to go to here, and I'm going to go to uh, convert blah.webp to blah. What is it? M, no, WMF. And it did it. Okay, cool. So I'm going to do a display of blah.webp wmf now and yeah it's just an image okay wow that is just so strange to me i don't understand why they would call their image format wmf but there you go that's what it is wmf cool all right let's uh let's move on from wmf i'm completely mystified by that one i would love to hear more about the the history of that well i say i would love to find out more actually i wouldn't i mean i've gone my entire life not knowing that wmf exists so i i really actually don't care that much but um it is it's you know always interesting to find out about something that's 
been there for years probably and you never knew about it. Um, but I'm, I'm fine with continuing not to know about it. Let's talk about libwnk, that's the Window Navigator Construction Kit Library. And this, I, I, I can't get quite a good feel for whether this is still a thing or not. Um, Gnome talks about it, but I, I can't figure out if they're just, if it's just historical. And the reason I'm saying this is because X, the graphics server X, is kind of on its way out, and Wayland is on the way in, and, and I'm wondering if WNK is uh, purely an X thing, or whether it'll be ported to Wayland, whether it'll still be applicable then, whether it'll have to change, I don't know. So, WNK is the, I mean, like I said, Window Navigator construction kit, and, and that means that it's it's your it's your portal into your window manager from an application. So if you're developing something, and I, I'm struggling to come up with an example, but if you are for some reason developing maybe a plugin for your GNOME desktop, or maybe you've got an application that that does need to know whether I don't know some other window is open or something, then you can talk to the you know what your window manager knows about the status of your desktop and and then use that in your code. So for instance, um, there's a, a, a little example on um, the GNOME documentation where you could write a small utility that lists all of the windows on your current screen. And, you know, if you're one of those people who uses the hot corners in the Plasma desktop or some of those plugins, then you may have seen this kind of thing where, you know, you Alt-Tab and you get a list of the of the applications either on all desktops so your virtual desktops or just on this current desktop or your current screen so that's the kind of information that libwnk makes available to you as a programmer i think that's actually a pretty darn good explanation i just don't i don't know when or where you would really use it like i'm trying to imagine an application that would need that kind of information but i mean i'm sure there's i'm sure they're out there but I, I can't think. I mean, well, I mean, Plasma Desktop would want that information, but this is a GNOME thing, so I don't know what maybe GNOME itself uses this. I'm not sure. So anyway, libwpd is the Word Perfect Document Format Library. It it contains a library um, that can transform a Word Perfect document into other formats like HTML, text, or just raw. It is libwpd is um, used by um, Caligra Word, Caligra Word, whatever you know, the KDE Office application, the, the Word application, the the Word processor, the term I'm trying to figure out here, Word processor uh, for Caligra, Caligra Words uh, uses libwpd. That's the that's the 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 one thing that seems to be linked to libwpd. I have once again, I've heard of WordPerfect. I know it was very popular. I don't know what was it like the late '80s or something, maybe. Um, but I don't know. Um, I I don't know if I, I don't think it's still around. I I, I don't believe it is. But I mean, this kind of legacy support, like I've said before, it's important to some people. And and I feel like it's such a value in open source because so many other projects out there don't do this. And I think that's the greatest crime of all, really. Because, I mean, that's it's not only people's data that you're just abandoning, but it's 
history too you know i mean these are these are things that people created i mean whether that's worth anything or not depends you know it depends on your position and it depends on the um the the specific thing that we're referring to there's some documents that get created probably it's it's fine just delete them forget they ever existed it's not it was it was ephemeral but i mean there are things probably out there in the word perfect document format that deserve a second look and if we just walk away from it then they're just binary blobs that are useless to everyone but if we have libraries that interpret them and transform them to something modern then that's great lib WPG. It is another image format. Where are these image formats coming from? So, um, libwpg is it's a it's a it's a library that uh, converts WordPerfect graphics WPG to something else. So apparently, WPG was used by um, obviously WordPerfect, but also like um, by some Corel applications like their like whatever their presentation um uh, software was that 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 used uh, wpg as a as an output format so i i again this is so far outside of any of my um i of my experience that i just don't even know so but uh, apparently this is this is the libwpg is used in abby word inkscape carbon which is that still a thing or, or, or yes it is it's on my computer right now okay carbon which is like a KDE office application, but in this case, it's for SVGs. Uh, and then, so it's kind of like LibreOffice Draw um, and a very, very lightweight kind of business-oriented version of Inkscape, for instance. Uh, probably LibreOffice, although it lists on the libwpg.sourceforge.net, it lists OpenOffice. But I'm assuming that if it was in OpenOffice, it probably got grandfathered in to LibreOffice. Although maybe it got dropped because maybe people don't want to support that anymore. That's one of those things where I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, LibWPG, who's heard of it? Not me. I mean, some people may have. I, I might be I, I might be underestimating how common it is. But certainly from my perspective, my limited you know point of view, I, I, I are there that many WPG files out there? Like literally, again. Didn't even know it existed until today. So, uh, libwpg, libwpd, both of those have libraries. All right, is that everything um, in the Ws? Yeah, I think it is. So we got through the U and the V and the Ws, and I think I'm going to end it there today. That was a pretty good collection, an oddball collection. I, I feel like that there was a lot of little surprises in there. But you know what? There were codecs. There were some codecs in there, and... That's always appreciated, at least by me. I, I love talking about that stuff. I love thinking about that kind of stuff. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted 
Until next time, thanks for listening and keep the source open.